Hi, I'm David Sharp, your host, and welcome to Painopolis, a new podcast for people with chronic pain. Today, we meet a woman who replaced her pharmacy with a produce section. By now, we've all heard that eating a plant-based diet protects against cardiovascular disease. But can you eat your way to better health if your medical problem is chronic pain? And if so, which diet could accomplish that and how quickly? And could it do so even more effectively than prescription drugs? Last June, 32-year-old dental hygienist Gabrielle Fenimore decided to find out. Fenimore had suffered for years with ulcerative colitis, an autoimmune disease that attacks the colon and triggers severe abdominal pain and bloody diarrhea. She took anti-inflammatory medications in hopes of controlling those symptoms, but the pain kept getting worse. And the bloody diarrhea did too, forcing her to make as many as 30 trips a day to the bathroom. Then last summer, she took the gutsy step of flying from her home on the East Coast to attend a 10-day dietary program in California run by an internist named John McDougall. Here's what you need to know about McDougall. He's all about eating exclusively starches, vegetables, and fruit. That means no meat, no dairy, no eggs, no cooking oils, and no junk food. In other words, goodbye, typical American diet. Unlike Fenimore's physician back home, who championed medications instead of diet to control her ulcerative colitis, McDougall argues just the opposite. He claims that eating low on the food chain can fend off the plague of chronic ailments targeting countries that follow a Western-style diet. Those diet-related diseases, he says, include the obvious ones, clogged arteries and diabetes for starters. But he also insists that our Western way of eating puts us at greater risk for certain cancers, including breast, colon, and prostate cancer, as well as autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis. In fact, those diseases are rare in parts of the world where people eat primarily grains, vegetables, and fruit. Moreover, McDougall contends that a plant-based diet can promote healing in people who already have those diseases. Other researchers have also linked the Western diet with an upswing in chronic diseases. For Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, however, the scientific research to date has been inconsistent in nailing down that cause-and-effect relationship and also pinpointing which specific elements within the Western diet might be most to blame. So McDougall's approach sounds promising in theory, but when you put a plant-based diet to the test in the real world, can it actually reduce chronic pain and other symptoms enough to make a difference? Well, it's now been the better part of a year since Finnamore took McDougall's advice, and it hasn't been easy. Her colon was already so fragile that for the first few weeks, she subsisted only on pureed squash soup. And because of that hyper-spartan menu, her weight quickly dropped to an emaciated-looking 88 pounds. Despite those challenges, she stuck with it. And today, eight months after she opted for a plant-based diet and weaned herself off medications, we find out if her symptoms have improved, how she weathered the trial-and-error ordeal of figuring out which foods to include on her grocery list, why that list is still limited to just 15 items, and lastly, how hard it's been for this self-confessed foodie 
to give up fine dining in favor of a menu that's heavy on squash, rice, and purple sweet potatoes. But first, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It's not to be used as a substitute for qualified medical advice. Go to painopolis.com to read our disclaimer in its entirety, along with our terms of use and other important information. Now, let's dive into today's show. Take me back to when you were growing up and first began having symptoms related in some way to eating and digestion. It started with stomach aches, didn't it? So I started getting stomach aches back when I was a child, and I didn't really think anything of it. I just thought I had normal stomach aches. I would eat, but I ate a lot. I never ate like a normal child. But I always finished my meals, and then afterwards I was always on the couch, laying down in pain. Never really thought much of it. And then the pains would go away after I would go to the bathroom. Again, I never really thought much of it. I always had tests done. I had endoscopies done. They never found anything. Um, then about, about 20 years later, when I was 19 or 20 years old, the symptoms started getting worse. And no longer was it just stomach aches. It turned into blood when I had gone to the bathroom. But I ignored it for a while. I just didn't think anything of it because it wasn't a lot. It was just a little bit here and there until it started getting worse. And that's when I had my first colonoscopy done, about 19 or 20 years old. And did you have abdominal pain along with the blood in your stool? Not at the time. I mean, sometimes I had abdominal pain, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. I would have urgency. I would go to the bathroom, and then that was the end of it. Once I would go to the bathroom, that's when I had relief, and then I would be fine. If I had a large meal, going to the bathroom was always the relief, and I never really thought it was that big of a deal because I was fine afterwards. Was this a daily problem, an intermittent problem? Uh, it was daily but it also depended on the amount of food that I would eat. So sometimes it would affect me, sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes my nerves affected it. If something was stressing me out or making me nervous, I'd be living in the bathroom all day. Those symptoms would make it really hard to be far from a bathroom. How were you able to, by this point, you were in dental hygiene school, right? Yes. So how were you able to go to classes and keep up with your studies if there were times when you had to be in the bathroom a lot? You know, I became very good at multitasking, and I made it part of my life. I refused to let it affect me in a negative way. It was just something I knew, like, if I had to excuse myself, I'd excuse myself. And it wouldn't take me long in the bathroom. I'd be there for about five minutes and come back out because it would go right through me real quick. And then I would come out and go about my business as if nothing. And when did a doctor first use the term ulcerative colitis to describe what you had? They actually first used the term Crohn's disease, and they had told me I had bad luck. I went through my first colonoscopy in about 2006, and they honestly thought I had hemorrhoids. They thought it was just going to be a no-problem quick colonoscopy to show that it was just hemorrhoids and nothing more. And then when they woke me up, they said, Gabrielle, we're really sorry to tell you this, but you have Crohn's disease. So I just looked at him and thought, disease? What, what do you mean I have a disease? And then they had said, well, basically you have bad luck. So now I'm really on anesthesia, a little loopy, and now I'm hysterical crying because why, why do I have this problem? You told me I was coming in here to confirm that I had hemorrhoids, and now I have a disease. That had to have been really scary. 
It was. It was, especially because I thought you could die from Crohn's disease because I had known other people who had that disease and they had different symptoms and they were going through different things because there's a lot of other deficiencies and all that go with it that are not specific for every patient. But I just automatically assumed, oh, I have a sentence here of how much longer I have on earth. I was being dramatic, but I also had anesthesia in me, so a little extra emotional. And when did they clarify that it wasn't Crohn's disease, but it was ulcerative colitis? They had a hard time for four or five years deciding which it was that I actually had. They couldn't really figure it out because of all of my symptoms and how much bleeding there was. Eventually, they said, it's only on the right side of your colon, so we're going to just go ahead and say that this is ulcerative colitis, though I heal very quickly. So in the beginning, I would go into a flare-up, they would do a colonoscopy, and then after the colonoscopy, I would quickly heal, and then there would be no blood. So I would tell them this, so they would do another colonoscopy to go back in and check, and then all of a sudden my lesions were totally healed. So it had confused them to know exactly what it was. So they had put me on medication that was specific for Crohn's disease, and I did fine on it, but in my head I kept thinking, oh, I don't have a problem. It's probably mind over matter, and I'm fine. It's probably just stress. It's stress causing this. My doctor would turn around and tell me, though, stress doesn't cause you to bleed. This is not stress. So it was very confusing and very frustrating because I didn't really understand what was going on, and neither did the doctors. And so this whole period when they weren't sure whether it was Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, that was during your early 20s then, like from 21 to 25 or so? Would that be about right? Yes, 25, yes. And then they finally settled on ulcerative colitis. Did they characterize it as mild, moderate, or severe at that time? Moderate at that time, but it was definitely helped with steroids and um, mesalamines or anti-inflammatories. Okay. How would you explain what ulcerative colitis is to someone who's not familiar with it? Ulcerative colitis is basically lesions on the colon that actually bleed, like ulcerations, so that when you go to the bathroom, you see all this red blood coming out. I was never concerned because it was never black blood. They always tell you if you see any kind of blood that's black, you have a major problem. I saw red. I assumed I was fine until it started getting thicker. The blood was coming out sometimes in clots, so it was scary to see that. Certain foods, apparently, I did not know this then, make it worse and make it bleed even more because anything going through your colon is actually scraping the sides of your colon, causing you to bleed more. And it's an autoimmune disease that essentially inflames and creates ulcers within the colon. Yes. They told me that because of my bad luck, my actual colon is attacking itself because it's sensing that something is not right. So it's trying to get rid of this foreign invader. So it's attacking itself, causing the bleeding, causing the ulcerations, which made no sense to me at all. I thought to myself, food passes through these intestines. It has to be food related. And they said to me, no, you can eat whatever you want and just go about your life and just try to ease up on your stress levels and you'll be fine. The difference between Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, as you alluded to, is that ulcerative colitis is limited to the colon, whereas Crohn's disease is another autoimmune disease that can involve the entire digestive tract. Yes, that's correct. So yours, as you said, was limited to the colon. I once heard someone with Crohn's disease liken a flare-up 
to having really bad food poisoning that causes terrible abdominal pain and bloody diarrhea. And the diarrhea can be so bad that a person may need to have 20 or more bowel movements a day. Was that what it was like for you to have a flare-up with ulcerative colitis? Not in the beginning at all, not in the beginning. I thought I was very lucky. I was told that also, and I had never experienced that until I turned 30. When I turned 30, everything changed and it got worse. And I have had food poisoning. Somebody actually even told me that food poisoning could have started this because it was around the same time that I, I was diagnosed that I had a bout of food poisoning. It does feel like food poisoning minus the violent throwing up. I never threw up with the ulcerative colitis. I did, though, when I had food poisoning. But those pains are unbelievable. And I could be in the middle of having a conversation like this with you and then all of a sudden start to sweat and get super cramped up. And I don't want anyone to see this. So I get embarrassed. And then I just, I, I turn white as a ghost. I have to leave the room, excuse myself. And then it's just this pain is unreal. And then all this diarrhea and blood comes out of you. It scares me. It makes me think like, oh my gosh, what is coming out of me? What is going on here? And then after it comes out of you, the pain is gone. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I could handle this. And then I go back to doing what I'm doing, and I just feel sore and exhausted. That's a lot to go through. I mean, especially not knowing when it can come on. Yeah. I was in denial a lot of the time. I could see why. I mean, it, it's a kind of sudden, unexpected news. It's very scary, especially when you first hear about it when you're coming out of anesthesia. Um, it's a lot to deal with. The scary thing also was that, which was also confusing about the whole food issue, was that it didn't happen with specific foods. It didn't happen all the time. Sometimes I could be totally fine. I can eat, which I know is disgusting, but I could totally eat a gallon of ice cream in one sitting and be fine, totally fine, not have any issues, enjoy every second of it, and there you go, I'd be fine. Another time I could have a little cup of ice cream and be totally sick. So I always thought, well, it can be the food. The food gives me different reactions all the time, so they must be right. It's not what I'm eating. That makes it even worse when you can't even identify a pattern to it. And if you can't figure out what particular foods set it off, then it's like it's out of your control. And there's always this big question mark of, is this food going to kick it in and create a flare-up? Or is that food going to create a flare-up? It worked yesterday, but maybe won't work today. Yes. And so you were saying that your doctors treated it with a drug called mesalamine, which I know is an anti-inflammatory medication. And did you say they also would give you steroids during flare-ups? Is that how it worked? Yes, when the mesalamine didn't work on its own. Now, I call it mesalamine. They have other names for it, but I must have been on five different types of mesalamine through the years, starting from the lowest dose to the strongest dose. So they just kept going. And if the mesalamine alone wasn't working, then they would add a steroid to it also. Did you have any side effects from these drugs? Luckily, no, I never did. I've heard of a lot of people having side effects, but there were low doses of steroids. When you took these drugs, did they get rid of the symptoms and for how long? In the beginning, they always did, but not 100%. It was just I felt better. I was going to the bathroom less, and I did not have as much pain. But I also wasn't as bad in the beginning of my diagnosis. It wasn't until 2012 when things started getting a little different for me, and I started feeling more pain more frequently without the medication actually working. And they ran out of different types of mesalamine to keep me on. 
So now they started discussing possibilities of immunosuppressants instead of anti-inflammatories. Immunosuppressants for ulcerative colitis, those can sometimes come with some potentially scary side effects. Was that the case with the ones they were recommending for you? Yes, lymphoma being a huge common side effect. Though when I spoke to my doctors about it, they said, yeah, but it's just something that we have to tell you because it has happened. doesn't mean it's going to necessarily happen to you. But if you ask me, listening to all those commercials on the TV, that was all I needed to hear because they play it over and over again all day, giving me nightmares. I can't go on an immunosuppressant. I work in the healthcare field. So by taking an immunosuppressant, that's basically bringing my immune system down so it stops attacking itself but at the same time making me more susceptible of catching everything that everybody has. I just can't see how that makes sense to do something like that. No, exactly, because by this point you're working as a dental hygienist, so you're in close, direct contact with people all day long. If your immune system drops, you're going to be really susceptible. That's correct. So did you end up taking the immunosuppressants? They had prescribed azothioprine. It was lower dosage than Humira, very similar with the same exact side effects. He told me that if I didn't go on it, I would actually have to have my colon resected or a piece of it removed. So that scared me in itself. Oh, yeah. So about for five days, I decided, let me go on this. He's telling me I'm going to need surgery. Maybe I'll be okay. But it wasn't sitting right with me emotionally. So after five days, I called him up hysterical crying, you have to take me off of this. Please don't be disappointed in me. I want to help myself, but this is not the way. I have to figure out a different way, and I'm determined to do so, and I will. What was your doctor's reaction to that? He sounded very disappointed, and he said, Gabrielle, I'm only trying to help you. I'm not trying to harm you. You have to understand that you're getting worse, and this is not going to lead anywhere good if you don't take these immunosuppressants. So I had told him, I understand that, but this is my body and I have to do what I feel is right for my body. And being on these, I know for a fact, is not. So with these increased symptoms, in about this time you were about 28 years old, mm -hmm. did it start interfering with your ability to work and just have a normal life? Normal life, yes. But again, I was determined not to let it affect me, so I did everything I love. I love going camping. I didn't care that there was not a bathroom nearby if in case I had to use it. I would figure out a different way to take care of myself, or I would plan trips where I knew there was bathrooms possible, work. After each patient, I would be in the bathroom, and it was very frustrating, especially when you think you're doing better, and then all of a sudden you go to the bathroom, you see nothing but blood, and you're like, oh, for crying out loud. Oh, my gosh. So it's just frustrating. That must have been frightening, too, to just look in the toilet and see a lot of blood. It was. I would cry a lot of the time. So emotionally, I wasn't always there. But I would come out of the bathroom, wipe my tears, put on a happy face, and take care of whoever was my next patient. I couldn't let my personal things that were going on affect the person that I was treating, you know. So it was hard to keep them separate. But it was something I had to do because I wanted a normal life. At any point as these symptoms worsened, did your doctor ever bring up the topic of diet? No. I kept asking the topic, and they kept saying, no, it has nothing to do with your issues, though you can eat a low-residue diet, include chicken and salmon, and that should probably help you. So I said, oh, okay, well, let me eat some more chicken and salmon. So I was eating a lot more chicken and salmon just because I was going by what 
I would hear people would say, they weren't really definitely saying like, yes, this is definitely going to help you. But they would just say, you know, you can't eat raw vegetables because the vegetables are going to hurt your colon more, make you go to the bathroom more. So stay away from all these vegetables, but eat more soft foods like pasta, chicken, salmon. So I did, but I didn't notice anything different. How long could you sustain that, just eating chicken and salmon and pasta without any vegetables or other plant-based foods? I mean, it sounds like over time that would be a very um, nutritionally deficient diet. I never stuck to anything long enough, to be honest with you. I honestly just continued to eat anything I wanted, and I love eating, and I love eating out. So I was constantly in and out of restaurants, and I'm not like your average, I'm going to have a little tiny plate of food and be done with it, and I am thin. I would eat a four-course meal and finish everything on my plate where people would laugh and be amused by the fact that I could always eat all of this food and be fine. And I would make the joke, oh, I'm fine. I just got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And I'm good to go again. I could eat more. <laughs> I've even entered contests, eating contests that I have won, and I didn't really care. Wait a minute. You have ulcerative colitis and you're entering eating contests? Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They said it wasn't food related. <laughs> like, give me an example of an eating contest that you entered. Um, in Florida, we were having a uh, crawfish eating contest, and I ate 24 dozen. <laughs> I won. In one setting? Yeah, one setting. Oh, my gosh. It took about half an hour. I can't eat crawfish anymore. Not that I would now, but <laughs> I was sick of the taste by the end. But I won, and I took such pride in that. I was totally sick, though, don't get me wrong, for hours afterwards, and I kept saying to myself, why the heck did you do that? Why? And then the other side of me is like, oh, because you won, and <laughs> you knew you would win, and you'd be fine later. And what was the prize? There was no prize. It was just satisfaction. <laughs> Saying that you could do it and you're a female that's that small. <laughs> oh, I see. I'm sure you surprised him. What age were you when you did this? Mm, 28. Oh, my gosh. So this was right around the time when your symptoms were escalating and you were still a gung-ho eater because the medical folks told you it wasn't related to food except for the part about eating soft foods. Exactly. I figured it's shrimp. How could that hurt me? Shrimp has got to be good for you. It's not oily. It's fine. It's not a greasy food. And I was determined to live a normal life. Not that that's normal, but <laughs> I thought it was amusing. <laughs> uh, so at this point, from age 28 to 31 or so, you're dealing with these worsening symptoms, and you're really confronting some tough choices. On the one hand, in terms of treatments, doing nothing didn't seem to be like an option because it sounds like your symptoms were getting to be intolerable. And then on the other hand, the medication you were recommended to take might increase your risk of certain cancers and infections. So you went with a third option, namely changing your diet to see if that would help. Now, that was a bold move, especially given the fact that your doctor never advocated that strategy. What first got you thinking that diet might play a key role in reducing your symptoms? I have always thought that diet had something to do about it, whether it was the amount of food I was eating or if it was the type of food I was eating. I just didn't know exactly what it was, and I had zero direction. Nobody was helping me. I had no idea how to do it. 
I just always had that feeling that it had something to do about it. But this is also a mental issue that I'm dealing with as well because I have no support from anyone. So I kind of felt lost. So maybe in a sense, because I was feeling lost, I was kind of acting out in my own self, overeating and overindulging myself just because I was frustrated. And I just kept telling myself I didn't care. Now, these symptoms weren't that bad. I was dealing with them all the way up until like right at the edge of 29 and 30, where I'm just dealing with it, fine, whatever. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't deal with it anymore. Now the pain was coming all the time, and I barely ate, and this pain was happening. The bathroom was becoming more frequent, 20 to 30 times in the bathroom. That's ridiculous, because do you know what that does to your butt? That is just not comfortable at all. You, you just, you're wiped out. And these were symptoms that I did not experience in all those years before. So I said to myself, you have to figure something out. So I decided, all right, let's go the route of diet and see what we can do. Now, I didn't know whole food plant-based. I didn't even know what that was at the time. Or maybe somebody else has some insight about diet. Maybe I could find that nutritionist and maybe they could direct me. So I did a lot of research and I found somebody that could actually help me who had Crohn's disease and became a nutritionist being able to save other people because his disease was so bad and it actually saved him by changing his diet. So I felt super confident, even though it was Crohn's disease and not ulcerative colitis, but I thought, pretty similar, he's gonna be able to help me out here. So I was very confident that that was going to work. How well did it work? Well, it worked in the beginning. Well, first of all, the advice that I was given was to stay away from soy, corn, wheat, most oils, like canola oil and olive oil, he told me to switch it to grapeseed oil because it's not processed. This whole thing was our foods are so processed that we're not getting the nutrients that we need and we're putting a lot of poisons into our body. So we have to be careful. Also, when it comes to eating meat, you can't just buy whatever meat is in the grocery store. You have to go and buy natural grass-fed meat. So I started buying all my meat from a farm, Everything was either organic or naturally grown or raised. I was also eating coconut macaroons that I had to make homemade to slow the transit of the food going through my system. So I was eating a half before each meal with all these different supplements, and I had to be gluten-free as well. So no one said I didn't have to drink alcohol at all. I could still have a little bit here and there. So I just made sure I had gluten-free alcohols. And that was a big mistake. I went on a search and found this potato vodka, but do you think I could have one glass of potato vodka? No. So I do think that had a problem was related to why I wasn't healing on this diet because I was still going out and acting like a 29-year-old, drinking whatever I wanted, minus the gluten. So the diet never actually worked. Now, while being on this particular diet, I mean, I was following it to a T, minus the fact that maybe I was eating a little too much of everything. I would get blood tests, CRP tests. Right, or C-reactive protein tests that's a marker for inflammation in the body. Exactly. Okay. And my blood test would never be completely at a low inflammation marker. Zero to three is normal. I would be around 8.3 to like 9 range, which is not good, which is why they kept changing my medications all the time. And I think the lowest I was able to get it down to was a 5 which they were happy with that. They were like, all right, you're stable right now. It's fine. So the diet seemed like it was working. 
My bowel movements had changed. There wasn't as much blood. So I'm thinking, okay, things are seemingly better. And then I don't know what happened, David. All of a sudden, it turned around and came back with a vengeance, 10 times worse than what it was before I started. What did I do different? I'm not sure. I mean, I don't typically cook with oil, but I eat out a lot. So I know that when you go out to eat, everybody cooks with oil. No matter what they're making, they put oil in it. Now, when I went on this new diet, I stopped eating out. However, I started cooking everything in grapeseed oil, avocado oil, and coconut oil. Literally everything, because I didn't know how to cook. I figured you need oil to cook. You told me to stay away from canola oil, so okay, I'll just use this oil. So I was cooking everything. I went from not cooking at all, just eating out, to now cooking everything I had in oil. So maybe that must have made it worse. I honestly had no idea at this point, but all I knew is that Wow, I'm losing weight now, which I never really did. I was maintaining my weight all of these years. I mean, I lost about 5 to 10 pounds since I was 19, but that happened over the years. Now, all of a sudden, I lost 5 pounds within a month, and I'm on this diet. So at first, I'm like, all right, that must be normal because I'm eating healthier, so I thought. But then the pain started getting worse, and the bleeding started getting worse all of a sudden. And then my CRP levels were rising. So I'm thinking, here I am doing my best, going out of my way to bring food everywhere I go because I can't eat out. I'm making these weird dishes that were good, but it was still, it was it was weird and it was uncomfortable. I didn't fit in because I always had to stop and eat my food that I was carrying in a thermos with me everywhere I went. And here I am trying really hard and still getting sick and still having to run to the bathroom. Anytime I would put alcohol, even touch my lips at this point now, just the taste of it would make me sick and my stomach would get all upset and I'd run to the bathroom again. I didn't even have to swallow it. I would feel it. So now I'm getting disheartened. I'm so upset, frustrated, and I just kind of gave up. I'm like, I'm not going to this nutritionist anymore. He's making me take all these supplements, try this weird diet, and it's just not working for me. You mentioned you were losing weight. How low did your weight eventually get? At that point, it only got up to... 104 pounds. I used to be 120 pounds. I think my weight should probably be 115. So when I dropped to 104, people were coming up to me telling me that I didn't look healthy. I looked sick and like I just kept losing weight. But I honestly, I didn't notice it. But eventually, I went all the way down to 88 pounds. That was the lowest I've ever been. And that was very, very, very sickly. That I noticed. You must have looked famished. I think you told me first time we spoke that you're five foot two. So at five foot two, weighing only 88 pounds would give you a body mass index of about 16. 14, actually. 14. Okay, so you're well into the underweight category. Yeah, it was really hard to breathe. It was a very scary weight. For a guy like me, just as a point of comparison, I'm six feet tall. I normally weigh about 170. For me to have a body mass index that low, I would have to weigh about maybe 110 pounds, like a human toothpick, in other words. You must have looked completely famished. Emaciated, I looked. It was very scary looking because they have like all these bones sticking out of me. Were people worried about you when they saw you? People that I did not know thought I was anorexic. People that I did know were very worried. But this also happened during my treatment. So when I lost the first five pounds with that first diet, that's when people were nervous, like something's not right. And that's when I decided to get different help. And it wasn't until I got different help was when I lost all of that weight. So it was part of the actual recovery, though still scary because I didn't know if I'd actually recover. 
I could see where a lot of people at that point would have thought, okay, I guess my doctor was right. Diet isn't the answer. I need to start taking the med. But instead of giving up on the idea of using diet to control your ulcerative colitis, you look for a better diet, as you just said. What led you to the particular diet advocated by a physician named John McDougall, who's a well-known advocate of following a plant-based diet? I actually did not want to look for another diet. I just thought, definitely, it is not food that's going to save me. I want nothing to do with anyone giving me advice for a diet. However, my dentist, Dr. Alan Cohn, who I work for, was reading the China study, which was a very interesting book talking about the Western diet and had recommended that I read it. He also was telling me about Dr. John McDougall. So I started researching Dr. McDougall and I found that he had a program that you actually can go to, a 10-day live-in program, where you can learn firsthand how to take care of yourself and change your diet and eat different. So I thought, oh, here we go, another diet. I was so skeptical. I did not want to do it at all. I was kind of not really listening to what my boss was talking about. I just thought, yeah, 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 it's interesting, makes sense. I went home that night and just laid there in bed thinking, I have nothing to lose. I'm already in a bad place. Nothing is working. This is my last straw. I have to do something. Now, knowing myself and everything that I have ever gone through and the way that I learn, I'm not somebody that could look on the internet and learn things and then teach myself. I need to be taught upfront, in personal, hands-on how to do something. So I thought, the only way I'm going to figure this out is if I go through this 10-day live-in program and go through the work to see if it actually will work. So I asked for his permission if I could go there, just be there for 10 days, go through the program. And he said, yes, absolutely, I want you to be better. You're no good to us if you're so sick. So I decided, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is my last straw. I'm going to make this decision, and I'm going to do it, and hopefully it will help me. And by that point, you had read enough about what McDougall was advocating that you had a general sense of what the diet would consist of. Pretty much. It was basically... You're a starchivore. So that is, you eat more starch than you do anything else. So you're a vegetarian, but not necessarily are you only eating grass. You know what I mean? You're not just eating veggies all the time. Right. You're eating things that are actually going to keep you satiated. So in the past, I always thought potatoes, pasta, rice, all that stuff makes you fat. I'm going to gain all this weight eating like this. How is this healthy? So I said, but let me give it a try. Let me see what he has to say. And, you know, I read so many testimonials from other people with ulcerative colitis who went through the program, got better, and then actually fell back into a flare-up because they went back to their old diet. The fact that I couldn't eat meat was scary because I love meat. But also people are always talking about, oh, you need protein, you need protein. So it was definitely challenging to learn all the things that I did learn while I was there and to accept them. But again, I thought, I have nothing to lose. I already lost everything. Let me see what this will do for me. And when you say you had nothing to lose, I lost everything, it sounds like your symptoms were putting a lot of restrictions on just your ability to live a normal life. How restricted were you by that point? At that point, even going to a concert, which I would enjoy all the time, was nearly impossible because I found myself in this great venue completely crowded, watching my favorite country singer singing, and here I am, stuck in the middle of a crowd, having to go to the bathroom. If I don't hurry up and get to that bathroom, I'm going to have a problem right here on this floor. That's, that is not the way a person should live. 
not in your 20s or 30s. Or ever, really. Yeah, nobody should have to live that way. The thought of me having to wear a diaper because, God forbid, I won't make it to the bathroom, that I, I can't. I can't live like that. And it was scary not being able to get to the bathroom. So what am I going to do? Stay home and do nothing every day because there could be a chance that today is going to be the day that I have to live in the bathroom? So your life was getting more limited in what you could do or at least what you could do and just have fun and not have to think about your health at the same time. Exactly. Now, you live on the East Coast and the 10-day program that McDougal offers is located in Santa Rosa, California. So you had to make a cross-country flight. I've had chronic pelvic pain, still do to some degree, but it's a lot better. But at its worst, I was like you. I had to be near the bathroom all the time. And even though I'm somewhat better now, my nightmare scenario is being on an airplane that's stuck on the tarmac for hours and they won't let me use the bathroom. And just that thought, even now, makes me very reluctant to get on an airplane. So how did you make that trip, given your symptoms? I never thought anybody could tell me I can't use the bathroom. I'm not embarrassed to talk about the bathroom and if I have to go, because I'm always in it. So you either accept me for who I am or, I mean, we all do it. It's part of a normal bodily function. So... As soon as I got past the embarrassment of having to have to tell somebody that I actually have to use the bathroom and it's an emergency, it's fine. I'll get through it. If they tell me I can't, I'm going to have to tell them, look, this is an emergency. I'm going to have to do it. If I don't, we're going to have a problem right here. And just that, to me, it just didn't make any sense why anybody wouldn't help me. You know, I always thank God I've never experienced somebody giving me a hard time. I was a little bit nervous and concerned. I was also concerned on where I would be located, which seat because I didn't want to bother somebody so much. So I did have to get, like, the aisle seat just so I could get up as much as I possibly could without bothering somebody. I mean, I would sweat of nervousness having to bother somebody if I had to get up. But I knew it was what I had to do. You know, I'm a bit of a clean freak, too, so going to the bathroom in a plane to me is absolutely disgusting. But you do what you have to do because the other scenario is even worse. I want to delve just a little bit more into what the McDougal diet consists of. You mentioned starches, and by starches you mean things like whole grains, starchy root vegetables like potatoes, and I guess sweet potatoes would be on that list too, beans, and other starches. And then it also encourages you to combine those starches with vegetables and fruit. Those are all acceptable on this diet. What does it exclude? Meat. Meat being anything from an animal, whether it's milk, cheese, any kind of dairies. Eggs? Yeah, eggs. Extra salt, extra sugar, and then oil. That's the biggest thing. So in some ways, it was kind of the opposite diet from what you had previously tried where you were cooking everything in oil. Exactly. Wow. That was kind of why I thought, oil, that's huge. You put oil in a car. Why are human beings eating and cooking with oil? This kind of makes sense. Maybe he's on to something. So it kind of gave me like a little bit of hope and excitement because that's the only thing I have not taken out of my diet. Oil. And it's literally in everything. Even if you turn the package of something that says it's organic, turn that package over, read the ingredients. Just because it's organic doesn't mean there's not going to be a ton of other things in it, including oil. So who would have thought oil was a bad thing? Absolutely. And it's ubiquitous. Everybody's eating oil. So no one would ever assume it might cause health problems. Exactly what you just said. 
You said everyone is eating oil. But you know what also everyone or most people have is some sort of an autoimmune disease. What do you mean? Well, everybody eats oil. Right. And everybody is getting sicker and sicker. So in my head, I was thinking, well, that would make sense. Oil is making our bodies not function as properly. So it's causing all these different diseases that people have no idea how to cure. And in fact, that's one of McDougall's main arguments. When you look at the incidence of autoimmune disease in Western countries, the United States and others, that are following a westernized diet that's high in refined food products like oil and processed foods and also meat and dairy, the incidence of those autoimmune diseases are much higher in Western societies than they are in other less industrialized countries where people are still eating more indigenous types of food, which would reflect exactly the sorts of things that McDougall is saying you should eat, the starches, the vegetables, and the fruit. Exactly. So you decided to go to the 10-day program. What did that cost? Just for the 10-day program itself, including airfare, it cost somewhere between $5,000 and $6,000 by the time it was all done. And did that include just the program, or did that also include lodging and food while you were there? Yes, that include lodging, food. The 10-day program was in a resort, so it covered where you stayed and then three meals a day that they would cook specific to Dr. McDougall's menus just to get everyone to taste how possible it is and how good the food actually is, even though you're not eating meat on oil. Was there any medical care given during that 10-day program? For example, did you have any one-on-one time with Dr. McDougall or another doctor to kind of look at your particular health problems in a medical type of way? Yes. Dr. McDougall and Dr. Anthony Lim were on staff to check everybody personally, have a one-on-one visit about three times during the 10-day stay, one to get your baseline the first day that you go in, another visit to see later on in the week how you're doing, and then another one at the end to see how you did overall in the whole program. So everyone's checking your vitals, where your weight is, and they take multiple blood tests to see with whichever issue you're having, whether it's your diabetic or you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or in my case, ulcerative colitis, so they'll check the C-reactive protein, all of those in the blood test, just to see where you were in the beginning and where you were just at the end of 10 days. And there was miracles happening there after 10 days. I was seeing people not taking their insulin, and they were totally fine. The high blood pressure was not even existent. So he was taking a lot of people off of their medications just in the 10 days. Wow. After only 10 days of eating starches, vegetables, and fruit. Yes. You weren't allowed to eat anything but what he was offering. So it was truly unbelievable to see all that. That's amazing. How many other people were participating in the same 10-day clinic that you went through? Maybe 50 people. And you mentioned two or three health problems that these other people might be there for. What was kind of the assortment of health problems that you heard other people were there for? All different types. Some people had asthma, arthritis was another big one, high blood pressure. Some people just wanted to lose weight and be healthier, cholesterol issues. Um, Another person had acne issues. I was the only one with ulcerative colitis, so it was a little bit different because the gastrointestinal tract 
was a little bit more sensitive to have reacted differently in the 10 days. But everyone else, I was seeing them get better quickly. Throughout this 10-day program then, you mentioned that gastrointestinal tract reacts differently. You're being served these plant-based meals. How did your gastrointestinal tract react to this new diet? It was not happy. When I got there, they said, just let the food heal you, eat everything you want. And so I'm thinking, how am I going to do that? After all these years, people telling me that raw vegetables are going to make me worse. But you know what? Food is magical. I'm going to let the food heal me. So for the first three days, I ate everything and anything. And let me tell you, some of those meals were out of this world. I didn't know that you could actually cook without oil and have the food actually taste delicious. We were eating things like, it looked like regular pizza, but it was whole wheat kabuli bread with tomato sauce and fresh mushrooms and peppers on there that tasted out of this world. Maybe a little bit of a tofu ricotta that made it look or feel like you were eating cheese. Bean burritos, uh, yammy kales. Sorry, it's just kale and yam. It was absolutely delicious. All these foods that I never really thought I could eat because their vegetables are really rough on my stomach. Beans make me go to the bathroom a lot. But I ate it all. But it did make me worse. I got very sick. I didn't look sick, so I don't know that anyone really realized how sick I got until I started telling them my symptoms. And then I started losing weight even more, more quickly, losing a pound a day. And that's when they decided that my colon is too far gone just to be treated traditionally with all whole food, plant-based diet. When you first arrived there, what was your weight? Were you still at about 88 pounds at that point? I didn't actually hit 88 pounds until I was in California. I was 104 when I started there. Oh my gosh. Okay, I didn't realize that. So your weight was spiraling during the McDougal program as you were eating these McDougal-approved foods. Okay, so right there, once again, most people would have said the same thing they would have said when the previous diet didn't work. This one's not working either. I've just blown $6,000. I've traveled across country for nothing. I'm going home, and I'm getting on the immunosuppressant. So what was going through your mind? I was scared. But I really, really trusted Dr. McDougall. He kept showing me these different facts about how whole food plant-based diet will actually cure ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. They were very confident there that they could actually help me, but they felt that I just was too far gone at that point to get relief right away. Basically, I must relax the colon, let it rest, and let it heal on its own. Because at this point, anything that I was putting in my system was actually scraping my colon even more, causing more blood. So I just was very angry. They compared it to as if you, let's say you burned your hand on the stove, and you got a really bad burn, and you don't let it heal. Instead, you decide to take a scrub brush, and you scrub the heck out of that burn. Are you going to heal, or are you going to bleed? So basically, the food, any kind of food that I was putting in my system was like that scrub brush touching all these fresh, raw wounds. So it just made me bleed even more. I was seeing skin coming out of my stool. That's how bad I was. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's funny you use that example of burn because when I was looking on YouTube at colonoscopy videos of ulcerative colitis, to me, it looked like the colon had been scalded. 
So it, in a way, kind of, I mean, it's so inflamed, it almost might as well be burned. And it sounds like it behaves like it's burned when it's being assaulted with foods that it's too delicate to handle. Exactly. Now, what are you going to do to a burn after you burn yourself? Are you going to mess with it or are you going to just let it rest and let it calm down so that the skin can heal? Don't touch it. So that was their theory. What did they specifically recommend that you do to let it rest? They decided to let you heal. We're going to just puree squash, winter squash and summer squash, boil it, puree it, and make a soup out of it with distilled water. And we want you to eat just that every time you're hungry. Just eat it as much as you need. So I was eating it every two hours. Squash is known to not usually have any kind of allergic or sensitivity reaction to a person's intestines. So the idea of this was that I still get nutrition in, but you're putting my colon at rest so that it actually can heal up on its own because the body wants to heal. I see the logic of that. Were you hungry all the time, though, just living on squash soup? You know what? I started going to the bathroom a lot less after I started eating the soup. I mean, I still saw blood and it was still diarrhea, but I wasn't going 20 to 30 times a day at this point now. And I wasn't hungry. So on my breaks, I was leaving the resort and going on little hikes because I've never been to California before, so I wanted to explore. And I was walking about five miles a day and eating the soup whenever I was hungry, and I was fine, totally fine. I've never felt better. I felt like I could actually survive and actually enjoy myself because I don't feel sick for the first time. Every now and then, I get a little bit of a cramp in the middle of one of the lectures. I would just excuse myself real quick, go to the bathroom, come back, I'd be fine. But it wasn't as severe as it was in the beginning when I first started there. And these 20 or 30 times when you're going to the bathroom and then it starts to be not, you know, not quite as frequent, was it diarrhea the whole time or more normal? No, always diarrhea. Mm-hmm. And it must have been frustrating, though. I mean, you're there, and they're fixing all these great meals. You're the crawdad-eating champion, and (laughs) you're limited to squash soup. On the one hand, it's frustrating. I could see that. And on the other hand, you feel like you're in good hands, and competent physicians are looking after you. And yet, your weight is also continuing to go down. Understandably, you're eating squash soup and nothing else, and you're going on these short hikes every day. I don't see how your weight could do anything other than go down. That was exactly what was going on. I probably shouldn't have been walking, but nobody knew I was walking, so I don't recommend that. (laughs) But I wanted to explore. The food that everyone was eating was making me depressed because I wanted to eat it. And deep inside, I couldn't help but wonder if I'd ever be able to actually eat food again and feel normal. This soup, though, was my only lifeline, so it was delicious to me. Granted, squash soup is water and squash blended together, so it's very bland. However, it was the only thing making me feel better. It almost was like medicine to me, medicine that was actually working, so I was happy to actually eat it. Though, they also have cooking classes that you can participate in where they teach you how to cook these meals and you could cook them in a short period of time so you don't have to spend hours and hours in the kitchen. It was very hands-on and then once they would make a dish, they'd pass it around the whole room and everyone can try it. That killed me. And all those smells, I couldn't eat spices at all. I had to take everything out. All I could eat was a squash, so I couldn't sit and watch these cooking classes, which is disappointing because, again, I paid for the whole 
the whole experience, and I couldn't experience the whole thing because I was too sick. So I was bummed out because I wanted to try all these wonderful foods, and now I can't try anything else because I'm so far gone. It must have been torment to sit there and smell these foods that you couldn't eat. It was. Along with the squash soup, what were you allowed to drink? Just water. Just water. I couldn't even drink tea, and I couldn't drink cold water. I can only drink warm water at this point. So I was I was heating up hot water, having hot water, having warm water, but never cold. Cold would make my stomach upset immediately. Could it just be tap water, or it'd have to also be distilled water like they used in making the soup? At that point, I didn't have any distilled water to drink. But when I was transferred from the 10-day program into the fasting center, True North, they actually had distilled water. So that is when I completely went to drinking distilled water only. So tell me about that. You had initially planned on being there 10 days, doing the program and going back home. When you started having worse symptoms, instead of going back home after 10 days, you stayed longer and sought help one-on-one from Dr. Anthony Lim. Yes. Tell me about that. How long did you stay and what sort of treatment and care did you receive from Dr. Lim? Well, going back to the McDougal program, because I wasn't getting much better and I still had multiple bowel movements and blood, they were afraid to send me home, especially because I was continuing to lose weight as well. So Dr. Lim didn't feel comfortable sending me home, and he also works at True North Health Center. So he had recommended that I go and stay there for a few more weeks so that he could continue to treat me and keep me on the soup and watch my symptoms and watch me improve. What was that? Six days, maybe, I was just eating soup. He said that wasn't enough time for the colon to actually heal, and he was really confident that he could make me 100% better. So I trusted his enthusiasm. He was super excited. He really, really was convinced that he could help me. I was a little nervous because I really did want to go home because I've never been that far away from home before. I was all by myself. I'm going to go to another place, and I'm not going to know when I'm going to go home. So I was scared, but I thought, what am I going to do about work? How am I not going to go back to work? I can't afford to lose my job. So I decided, you know what? My health comes first. I'm never going to be able to work again if I don't get better. I spoke to my doctor. He understood and agreed with me. So I went over to this new health center, True North, which is a fasting facility, and I continued my treatment there. Now, True North is more for water fasting, and there are people there who stay 10 days, 20 days, 40 days, and basically it's the same principles, whole food, plant-based diet, but in order to reset your system, you go on a fast, whether it's water or fruit juices. Water is mainly what they do. And you do that for however many days you choose to. And basically the water is flushing your system and getting rid of all the toxins, allowing all of your body's systems to function better and healthier, to heal every toxin, get rid of all the bad things in your body just through fasting. And with the fasting, you're not only just fasting, you're meditating, you can pray. You're finding yourself, you're in a quiet solitude of your own self. They have separate rooms for everybody to stay in. You have roommates. Sometimes you don't have to have roommates if you choose not to. They have a courtyard where you can walk down and sit and talk to people. They do yoga there. They do classes just like the classes that McDougal's program had offered, all on the same exact information. But the idea is fast, and then you take the fasting period and divide it in half. And then once you pass your, let's say you fast for 10 days, 
with just water. You do then five days of a whole food plant-based diet that they make there with their chefs, and they cook with the distilled water. They do not believe in oil, salt, or sugar at all. Oh, they also have doctors there that come in and check on you every single day. They're constantly monitoring you, making sure that you're not underweight or dehydrated. They're always checking your blood and your blood pressure to see where your body's going and how you're healing. And so you spent how much time at True North? 20, 22 days. But in the beginning, we didn't know how long I was going to be there. So as the days went by, we had to figure out my treatment plan and what step I was going to take next because they didn't really know like my time frame. I mean, the body, it takes its own time to heal. And you never know, everybody's body is different. So by doing this fast, I wasn't doing a water fast, though I did for three days while I was there. Mostly I was still just on the soup. Dr. Lim was constantly checking on me, watching me. The goal there was to get me off of all of my medication. I was still on medication while I was at the McDougal program. So here, he was slowly weaning me off of all my medications and monitoring me, making sure that my symptoms didn't come back. I'd say about counting the beginning of my stay at McDougal program, I would say day 15, I stopped seeing as much blood and it was getting less. Still diarrhea, but then I was only eating soup. So I thought, eh, maybe that's normal. I don't know. But as the days went on, it kept getting less and less and less, uh, the bleeding, that on day 20, I had my first solid stool, and I was still eating soup. Your first solid stool on day 20, was this like a eureka moment? Like your first glimmer of, wow, this is a significant achievement? Or were you wondering if this was a fluke? Or where was your mind when that happened? All of the above, actually. I was, wow, there's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Wow, this is great. I'm just eating soup here. Actually, I had gone on a three-day water fast prior to my first normal bowel movement. So I hadn't gone to the bathroom because I was fasting on water. And the first time I went to the bathroom was a solid stool. So I was so excited. Dr. Lim was excited. Everybody was excited. Like, wow, there's no blood. It's solid. This is fantastic. All right, we're ready to start solid food now. However, we're going to treat this like an elimination diet. What we want to do is find out what food exactly is triggering your flare-ups. So we have to try one food at a time and basically overdose on that food so that we can produce a reaction so that we know, okay, this food, we're going to stay away from this. So that's the idea. So that's going to be difficult because here I am just eating squash soup and I can only try one food every five days. But yet on June 30th, I have plans to leave. I couldn't afford to stay any longer. So we were kind of like, what do we do? How are we going to do this? You were up against the clock. Yeah. So what did you do? So the day after my first solid stool, they tried watermelon. And I was so excited to have watermelon. I couldn't wait to taste something <laughs> yeah, ex different. Exactly. <laughs> After three weeks of squash and water, yeah, I could see where watermelon would have been uh, just a delectable uh, dessert almost. It was a delectable dessert. Actually, a delectable breakfast. So here I am, so excited, eating it in the sun, enjoying every single second of it, and then... Maybe about an hour after I finish, I am in the bathroom with urgency, bloody diarrhea, cramps. Oh. It was awful. Absolutely awful. I was so disappointed. And I became depressed in a way where I thought, 
I'm never going to be able to eat food at all, ever again. I'm going to have to eat soup for the rest of my life, and I'm going to continue to lose weight, and I'm going to die. I was so discouraged. Of course. But something that helped me while I was there was I kept a daily journal of everything that I went through from the first day starting at Dr. McDougall's program to this point. And I would go back and I would read all my feelings and all my symptoms and everything that was going on. And I had to remind myself that this isn't going to be easy, what I'm doing here. I am basically starting from scratch, like a newborn. You wouldn't just give a newborn peanuts. You know, you have to start with mush. You have to start with things that are less allergy-causing. And it's one thing at a time to see if you're going to have an allergy to whatever you're putting into your system. I mean, if you're eating all this stuff on a regular basis all day long, you're never going to know which food it is that you're actually allergic to. And not necessarily will you have a reaction that quickly either. That's why you have to keep eating it to see if it's going to trigger. I mean, I got lucky with the watermelon that it happened instantly because I was now on a time constraint here. If I had the watermelon and then quickly tried something else, I wouldn't have known which one it was. While all of this was happening, though, you mentioned a little bit ago Dr. Lim, did you say he took you off your medicine? Yes. By this time, I was actually completely off of my medication. I would say about eight days. So I knew it wasn't a reaction to not having the medication in me. Okay. So when I had this reaction to the watermelon, he decided, all right, you are the most difficult case of ulcerative colitis I have ever had to work with before. So we're both going through this together. We both don't know where this is going to lead, but we can't give up. That's when he recommended I take a probiotic. Now, Dr. McDougall does not feel that anyone should be on any supplements, neither does True North. The only supplement that you might possibly ever have to be on would be a B12, and that's only if you're deficient in it. You may not necessarily have a deficiency toward it. So taking supplements is not really anything that the body needs when you're on a whole food plant-based diet because you're actually taking in the whole food. You know, it's dispersing into your body the way it should. Your body's absorbing it the way it should. Your body doesn't absorb supplements in the same way that it absorbs food. So though Dr. Lim had recommended I take a probiotic because we have to put back in to your body the healthy bacteria that you probably lost while going to the bathroom so much. This could aid in your healing process. So I took a probiotic for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease called VSL number three. I take it in the powder form. So I mix it with a little bit of distilled water. And I was drinking that in the morning and at night twice a day to help with all the healing. Actually, to this day, I'm still taking it, but I decreased the dosage a bit. This is an over-the-counter product? Yes, but very expensive, and the insurance companies don't pay for it. So he started me on that, and I had to, for the next two days, I went back to eating just a squash soup. We couldn't just go right back and try the next food because we wouldn't know if it would work. So we did two days, and by the second day, I was actually back to normal again, thank goodness, that I was able to try rice because he did not want to send me home on soup because if I just stayed eating soup, who would know what would happen to me on my own? So I started rice the third day after that, white rice congee. It was like rice with extra water turned into a porridge. And thank goodness that stayed in and I started feeling better. 
because that watermelon really set me backward. I was in so much pain all over again. Something that would help relieve the pain throughout this whole experience has been heating pads. I would put heating pads when I was in severe pain on my stomach in the area that it hurt, also in my back. And I don't know if it was the heat helping or the comfort from the heat, but that really always helped. So I was back on the heating pad and then started the rice, and then I started feeling better and I was pouring the squash soup over the rice, and this is now what I'm eating. So two more days, I'm feeling good, I'm doing well. They're like, instead of trying a totally new food, let's try the squash without pureeing it. I said, okay, let's do it, now I'm excited. I got my hope back, I'm feeling great. This is an emotional roller coaster, but I'm getting strong, I could do this. So we go and we make a delicious delicata squash. <laughs> and we put it next to the rice. And this looks like a gourmet meal to me right now because all I've been living on is soup. And all it is is the same thing, but it's not pureed, like baby food. So uh, I eat it, and I ate it four times the first day I tried it, and four more times the next day I tried it, and I slowly started getting the pain back. The bloody diarrhea came back. I was so uncomfortable, and I have to go. Mm. I'm, like, so excited about eating this squash that the kitchen already made my meals, prepared for me to go home on the plane because I, I needed to eat every two hours. Right. So they would send me away with a couple of meals. And here they are making me whole squash and rice. So I'm thinking, all right, well, I didn't stay on the rice long enough. I don't know if it's the rice or if it's the squash. I honestly have no idea. So here I am again, depressed as anything, because I don't know if this is going to help. I don't know what is causing me to have this bloody diarrhea again. And I have to go on a plane. Here I am thinking I'm all better, and I am not better. I'm 88 pounds. I'm losing my mind because of this emotional roller coaster. And I don't know if it's the rice causing these effects, if it's the squash because it's not pureed causing these effects, or am I never gonna get better? So frustrated at this point, and I have to go and fly across the country to go back home to do what? I have no idea. You're on an emotional roller coaster. You're also on a physical roller coaster. Your body's going up and down. Your weight's going down. A lot is happening during this month. So there you are. You don't know what to do. Is it the rice, the squash? Time is running out. What happens next? I have to get a, a grip. I told myself, you're the only person taking care of yourself. You're the only person that can diagnose what is going on. You're going to have to figure it out. So I decided... I can't not eat rice. I need some kind of substance. So I went to the kitchen and I said, can you just make me take the steamed squash that you were already planning on giving me and throw that in the blender and make it pureed soup again? Because I'm going home and I'm starting to bleed again and I'm in the bathroom again and I'm pretty sure it's the cooked or steamed squash. I don't think my body is ready to handle cooked vegetables yet. I think I still have to eat them pureed. Again, I'm not 100%. I'm just taking a guess. It's a gamble. It's one of the two. So they were no problem. They gave me the soup. I was able to take it on the plane because it was mixed with the rice, so it wasn't a liquid, so they didn't give me a problem. And every couple of hours, I ate very small amounts of it because everything was making me go to the bathroom again at that point. And I was trying to stay out of the bathroom on the plane because I wasn't on the aisle. I was in the middle. I had no choice this time. And I kept bothering the person next to me to get up to go to the bathroom. It was horrible. And... Don't you know, the person next to me takes out his sushi, is indulging in this delicious sushi right next to me. I'm salivating and wanting to cry because I'm about to snatch his sushi. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm going to figure this out. Now, I'm 88 pounds. 
and the bones in my butt are killing me. I cannot sit in the seat. I'm sitting on a donut because my butt is killing me. I, um, I'm frustrated, and I don't know what I'm going to do when I go home. I have no idea. Sounds like a plane ride from hell. You know what? It was worse going home than it was actually going there. When I was going there, I had a lot of hope. Going home, I was scared to death because here I am thinking I'm getting better, then I'm getting worse, then I'm getting better, then I'm getting worse. What is going on? Now, while I was there, they were so impressed at my progress that somebody there had asked me to write my success story because of what I have been going through. And I was like, I really do want to write this story. I feel confident in all this that it's definitely helping me because I actually seen relief Though my CRP rose all the way up to 22, which I've never seen it that high. 22 during the month you were in California? Yes. And by the way, we never established when you went. It was June of just last year, 2016, right? Yeah. So we're talking about fairly recent events, okay? So we got up to 22, which is scary high for a CRP level. If a gastroenterologist had saw that, I think they would have taken my colon out. Probably. Or a portion of it. It was that bad. So I wanted to write this story, but I was still a little bit nervous. But I thought, you know what? I went from bleeding like a stuck pig to not bleeding to seeing a hard stool. This is definitely working. I just need to figure out what foods work for me. So I wrote the story, but I had to wait another four months to see how I would heal to finish the story, to see where I would be. Right. So once you got back home and after this roller coaster ride of a month in California, awful plane ride back home, and you don't have the hope that you had going there. What happens now? I had to face my family. And my family, you know, they were, they were so great and being so strong for me while I was out there. They were so scared when they saw me, though I couldn't really tell. They were doing a really good job hiding it. But to see the way I had looked and to see how I couldn't even cut my squash I was trying to cut the squash. Now, here I am in a facility where they're making all my food. I go home. Now I'm trying to cut the squash and cube it so I could throw it into a food processor to puree it. I could not physically do it. While I was out there, I also had purchased a distilled water machine so that I could only drink distilled water because I didn't want to upset any of this process that I had just gone through in a month. So I thought, all right, they're not feeding me bottled water here. They're feeding me water that goes through a distilled machine where all the toxins are taken out because you really don't know what's in bottled water or tap water, you know? Sure. So I now make distilled water in my home, and I was using that to cook everything, and that was the only type of water I would drink. I would boil it and drink it as if it was hot tea, but I wouldn't have tea. I would only drink hot water, pretend it was tea. My mom and dad had moved in to my house to help me because I couldn't cook. I couldn't cut anything. So for a good month, I stayed on rice and squash soup. That was it. And, you know, it was frustrating and it was really hard because I didn't know if I was making the right decision. But I stopped bleeding again and my diarrhea went away, pretty much went away. It was semi-solid-ish. It wasn't water anymore. So I was thinking, all right, I think I'm okay with white rice. I'm going to continue making this porridge with the soup and I'll see where I go. That was the entire month of July. That's all I ate. And I did a lot of reflecting. I did a lot of stress-relieving techniques with breathing from the abdomen. I slept a lot. 
I would sleep in the afternoon. I would take an hour nap every day, and I would go to sleep around 7, 8 o'clock at night, and I would wake up around 8 o'clock in the morning. They say that when you're sleeping, your body does most of its healing. So I did a lot of sleeping, which is not something I do normally because I work so much and I'm not a napper in the first place. But, you know, I, I was healing in my own way that I knew how. I'd also color a lot, and I would write in my journal of all my experiences each day. I would read books, and I would do research on what foods would be offending or non-offending. Now, I basically want to stay with Dr. McDougall's principles, but I was reading stuff about food combining also that I thought this could cause other issues if you mix certain foods with other foods. Like you're not supposed to mix protein and starch in the same seating. You have to wait a few hours later. Or you shouldn't eat fruit at the same time that you have a cooked food. That was the only thing I was really following. But I wasn't eating anything yet. So I, I really wasn't following anything. I was just researching. And every day, you know, it was hard because I'm thinking, am I ever going to be able to eat anything else? I don't know what to do. So after a month, I went and had my CRP tested again, and I was 1.3, which was, what? I was 22 a few weeks ago, and, and now I'm a 1.3. You went from 22 down to 1.3 in what? One month. One month. Four weeks. That's unbelievable. I mean, that cannot be even achieved probably with medications. No, I've never seen it that low on medication. That's amazing. There was my hope. Okay. That excited me. You're still on the rice and the squash puree. Now what? Well, at this point now, I'm about 90 pounds, which is not good. I would go to doctor's appointments of doctors who have never seen me before, thinking I was anorexic, having this whole talk with me about how I need to eat. But then I'd have to go through the whole sort of colitis thing and the journey I've been on. So that would make more sense to them. But now it's about gaining weight. So I definitely can eat rice and soup and have no reactions. I gave my body a good amount of time to heal, and I'm doing really well. I got to try something else. So slowly, I started adding exactly how Dr. McDougall's elimination diet went. I started adding things that he had recommended one at a time each week. Like what? I started with potatoes right after the rice. I was petrified of steamed vegetables after my last reaction, so I went to potatoes. But I read something. Now, this is not from Dr. McDougall about a group called Nightshades. I never knew really what they were, but the group Nightshades is this group of different vegetables that actually cause autoimmune diseases. Now, I don't know if this is true. I honestly have no idea. Okay. But I'm going to eliminate them from my diet for at least a year, and I'm not going to try any of those until my body has done a year's time of healing. Again, this is just me being my own guinea pig, testing it out. I don't know if this is the right or wrong thing to do, but nobody does. So nightshades consist of regular potatoes, eggplant, tomatoes, peppers, and certain spices like cayenne pepper. So that still leaves you with a lot to choose from, even if you eliminate those. Yes, yes. So instead of regular potatoes, I went to sweet potatoes. And I would order potatoes from everywhere because that was all I was really eating. So after I realized that they actually work and I wasn't having diarrhea, I started ordering purple stoke sweet potatoes from North Carolina and Okinawan sweet potatoes from Hawaii. Those two were purple, and they were something different to eat. I've never had them before, so it was nice to be able to try something new and exciting. Oriental sweet potatoes worked really well, but regular yams did not. I started feeling all those cramps when I ate a regular yam. 
So I was scared. I didn't want to see diarrhea, so I automatically just stuck with oriental sweet potatoes and purple sweet potatoes. And they worked really, really, really well. So I ate those. I stuck with them for a month. I really didn't want to upset the apple cart because I was doing so well and I was so scared that I wanted to be 100% sure that these sweet potatoes were actually working and that I wasn't going to get an effect later on. So three weeks later, I had another blood test. The blood test was still looking great. So I decided to add bananas, not something Dr. McDougall would recommend. He actually recommends a minimum amount of fruit, not as much fruit as I'm eating. Now, I know from personal experience, fruit is a killer for me. The sugar in it, it would always give me bad cramps and diarrhea immediately, just like the watermelon did. So I stuck with bananas and papayas because they were more of a starchy type sweet vegetable rather than just all liquid. Right. So Dr. McDougall recommends a limited amount, maybe one, if any, of fruits daily. It's not really necessary. But because I was trying to gain weight, I decided to do something on my own to see if I'd react. I would have about 10 bananas and puree them. I was pureeing literally everything at this point. And um, I would eat five at nine o'clock and five at 11 o'clock. I did that for a couple of weeks and I never had any reaction to it. To this day, I'm still eating about five to eight bananas a day and I'm mixing it with acai in the blender. And that is actually my breakfast now. And I've never had a bad reaction. My potassium levels have not increased. Everything's really healthy in that department. So it was a good way for me to actually gain weight, the weight that I so desperately needed at that time. And it sounds like that was what was happening. You were gradually gaining a pound here, a pound there, and you're starting to get in the 90s now and out of the 80s. So it sounds like you were heading in the right direction and doing the right things. What other foods did you add over the coming weeks or months? I started adding fennel broccoli, spinach. I was pureeing everything. I wasn't eating it whole. Before September, that's really all I stuck with, but everything was literally pureed. By September, I decided to add whole broccoli instead of pureeing it, and I was fine. Really? Yeah, I didn't have any reaction. Now, broccoli is one of the things that they say causes a lot of gas and upset stomachs and all that, but it didn't for me. So that just goes to show you literally everybody's body is completely different and everybody heals and accepts certain foods in different ways. What works for me may not necessarily work for somebody else and vice versa. I mean, who knew that watermelon would do that to me? I didn't. I never had a problem with it in the past. So really, it's all about trial and error. You have to use your body as kind of a lab and you test different foods to see whether they're acceptable to your colon or not. And so during this period of testing, were you back to work or were you still unable to work? By September, I was able to go back to work. August, I was not. How was your pain doing this whole time, especially in September when you went back to work? The pains were gone. I wasn't having pains with the bathroom. I was finally starting to feel more like me again, but I was getting something called spasms. I didn't understand what they were. And nobody else understood what they were, but it felt like somebody was punching me on the left side. Also, the same general area of where, when you look in a colonoscopy, where all the ulcerations were. Some doctors were saying it's probably just soreness, you're still healing. I, to this day, can't figure out what it is. But doing some research and trying to figure out what was going on, I read something called gastric flexure, which is a bend 
in the colon. Now, this is speculation. I'm not 100% sure if this is what my issue is, but it's a bend in the colon right where the transverse colon starts, I believe. And that little bend, gas pockets form. And it's not a gas pocket that you can actually release out of your body in any way. It's just stuck there. And it feels like a pulsating movement or a sharp knife sticking you. And it's so annoying. And it was so frustrating because these pains were getting worse. So they actually did decide to put me on a medication, an antispasmodic, to relieve spasming going on. No doctor actually mentioned splenic flexure. It was just something I had read because if I could figure out what it's called and how to treat it without medication, I would love that. So after a month of being on the antispasmodic, that wasn't doing anything for me except making me loopy and falling asleep. And I couldn't do that while I'm at work. So I was taking it while I was home, but then sleeping forever. So it wasn't working. So after reading about the splenic flexure, because you can't relieve it, you can't really even get rid of it. It's just something that happens with the colon. Things to help it is your posture and breathing. So I noticed that after losing all of that weight, my posture, which was really good before, was really now bad. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I lost my muscle strength, so I wasn't holding my body up as straight as I had. So here I am being all slouchy and having these spasms that it says just Keep an eye on your posture and breathe through your abdomen. And when you're feeling these spasms, do abdominal breaths and just breathe real deep from your abdomen and let it out through your mouth and do that a couple of times and drink lots of water. So I was suffering from these spasms for a good three months and they're totally gone now. Excellent. And that was just by fixing my posture and breathing through my abdomen. So I guess I'm allowing the food to pass through my intestines a little bit more readily without causing it to get all cramped up and cause air bubbles. Speculation, though nobody else could help me, but my posture did. It makes sense, especially since you were losing so much weight. You were undoubtedly losing muscle mass, and that definitely would affect your posture, I would imagine. So I think that's a pretty plausible explanation. So as you were now into September, fall, and winter, how did you progress with your diet and in terms of adding other foods to what you're eating? My foods, I kept slowly adding. I mean, nobody told me to do this, but again, I'm very scared. So here I am taking my CRP now every month because I want to know what it's doing. So it's maintaining 1.3. And I decided that every time I get good news, I'll try another food. And I'll keep eating that because I'm gaining weight. So it doesn't matter that I'm not eating a whole bunch of different foods. But something that I had added to get more vitamins into my body was juicing. So every morning when I wake up, I will take celery because I can't eat celery whole. It's too stringy. My body won't digest that at all. Ginger, purple cabbage, sometimes turmeric and apples. And I put it all in the juicer. And I have this juice. I have one glass of that every day. And part of the food combining principles is drinking and what time you should drink. So if I juice, I have to wait a half hour before I could put anything in my body after that. Same thing with water. Wait a half an hour before you eat after you drink water or wait two hours after you eat to drink a glass of water. Don't ever mix water with your food because it disrupts the digesting process. So that's what I was doing with juicing. I was getting all my vitamins in. And then I continued to add more food slowly. And I just kept improving and getting stronger every day. Um, I started walking around a little bit more and gaining more weight. And 
getting more optimistic that finally I'm going down the right path. And now I'm ready to finish my success story because now I'm confident that this is definitely helping because I've never felt so good before. Not on any medication, and here I am improving every single day. It totally sounds like your body's responding to what you're doing. You're step-by-step letting it heal and move into a healthier direction. You're able to tolerate increasingly different foods. But it sounds like you're still limiting what you can eat to a very significant degree. By the time, let's say, you get to the end of 2016, how many types of items are on your grocery list? Fifteen at the end of 2016. I was up to 15 items. Fifteen. And these would be the rice, the squash, and various other fruits, vegetables, and starches? Just vegetables, yeah. I maybe added three fruits, mango, papaya, and banana at that time. But I was improving, so I didn't care necessarily. I was very excited that I had this amount of food. But then mentally, it started affecting me because now the holiday season has approached. And it is very difficult to surpass those cravings of wanting to eat everything that everyone's eating between chocolate and I'm Italian, so we eat a lot of food on Christmas Eve. And I love it. I love all the food. So I didn't know how I was going to handle that. It's not like I like to pick on little things, you know. I mean, I liked food contests. Exactly. I would literally eat and overindulge myself. So it was very hard coming back into the real world where everyone around me is eating anything they want. I almost felt like I had an addiction to certain types of food, and I had to be around it, so it was very difficult for me. So that would give me multiple meltdowns where I would just be so upset and I would start hysterical crying because I'm not normal, I can't do this, I can't do that. And then I have to remind myself, thank goodness I have this diary to remind myself that, hello, yeah, so what? You can't eat all those other foods. You don't want those foods. As far as you're concerned, for your body, those foods are poison. Those are just going to make you sick and bring you back into that very horrible time of your life that you don't even need to ever have to go down again. So I was always trying to talk myself out of it. And it's hard when you don't have support. I don't really have support in New Jersey where I live where people are doing what I'm doing. I mean, I think it would be a whole heck of a lot easier if I actually lived in California because eating a whole food plant-based diet is more popular out there than it is here. I mean, yes, you have vegans around But just because you're vegan doesn't mean you're healthy because all these products that they sell for vegans have oil in them and have all these other chemicals that when you read the back of a package, you're like, how the heck are you putting this in your body? You don't even know what this word is. Exactly. So the support isn't really there. So it just makes it more challenging. I thought about seeing a therapist, but again, they can eat whatever the heck they want. How do I know they're going to be able to really, really mentally actually help me? So I just continued writing in my diary and all my feelings and remembering the different things that are going on in my body and how working so diligently and keeping the pain away was actually all I really needed. I didn't have to worry about or think about the things that I couldn't do because I may not be able to sit in a restaurant and eat that steak that I would love to eat, but at least I can hang out, watch you eat it, and never once get up to go to the bathroom. I think that's huge. Which is a major improvement. I mean, you've come a long way just to be able to do that. Exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still, you know, I'm still dealing with that because that was what I did for fun. I mean, there's nothing to do in New Jersey except go out to dinner, go out to restaurants. 
So I can't go out to restaurants because everybody cooks literally everything, including pasta. Like if I ask for boiled pasta, they're putting oil in the pot of boiling water. So I can't even do that. Vegetables, they steam the vegetables, but they don't want them to stick together either, so they put the oil inside of the... But I also am not eating whole vegetables except broccoli. I'm still pureeing everything. So it just makes everything a challenge. But again, when I go back and I remember how bad I was and how scary that was not knowing if I was going to come out of this alive, it's like, oh, that's so stupid. Why are you getting upset that you can't go to a restaurant? You don't want to eat that food. It's poison. So as the months go on, it gets easier and easier. And I have to be honest with you, I don't even crave steak anymore. You could probably eat a whole steak in front of me and it wouldn't even phase me. Whereas before, I would get super emotional. So I did skip Christmas Eve. I did not spend it with my extended family and the way that we normally eat, the seven fishes and all the appetizers and everything. Um, I definitely then, in December, would not have been able to handle it. But now being that we're in February, I feel great. I can't imagine eating that because if that brings me back to where I was, that makes me stupid. And I'm not stupid. I've come way too far through this process to give up. I don't understand really how somebody could go through all of this and quit and just say the heck with it. Go back to your old eating ways because you're lazy and then start feeling so sick again. It just doesn't make sense to me. Of course, you've come such a long way. You don't want to slide all the way back to the beginning again. You know, it's not worth the enjoyment of just eating a quick steak. You're going to be paying for it in a big way. So it's now February 2017, the better part of a year since you first went to California. Tell me how you're doing now in terms of your uh, pain, your diarrhea, and your body weight. I am 112 pounds, which is wonderful. I don't know if I'm going to gain more weight or if this is where I'm stabilized at because I've been holding 110, 112 for two months now. And I have no diarrhea whatsoever. I still go to the bathroom like five times a day, but I personally think that might just be me. But I also still have an issue with the amount of food I eat in a sitting. I'm supposed to be eating six small meals a day, but I find that so hard because I work so many hours and I'm with patients each day. It's not like I could get up in the middle of being with them, hurry up, go put some food in my mouth. It's not possible. I'm always hungry then. I'm always thinking about food. So I really do only eat three or four meals a day, pretty large meals, or at least one of the meals is really large to try to hold me over, which I don't think is smart. So I'm not perfect. I'm still trying. But I am 100% only eating whole food plant-based diet. I only drink distilled water. You know, it tastes delicious, and I don't really want to go backwards and not know, is it the water or is it the food? It's not worth it to me. And what about the pain? No pain whatsoever. No pain whatsoever. So you have no diarrhea. You have normal stools. You have no pain. Your weight has gone from 88 to 112. Um, that's actually pretty phenomenal, given that it's not even been a year, and much of that time was taken up with just trial and error experiments, some of which didn't work, so that gave you setbacks. You've come a long way. I did. I wish I could go back through the McDougal program and eat all their food. <laughs> yeah, now you could do it. Yeah. Right. Do you think you could do that now? Could you go there and take a number of different items from the buffet rather than just the squash soup? I really do feel like I can. Well, that says it all right there. That's a phenomenal improvement. So what do you know now that you wished you'd known when your symptoms first began years ago? Years ago, I don't know if I would have listened. 
I was young. I was enjoying life. I was partying all the time, going out to dinner, getting through college, drinking coffee. You know, if somebody told me that I couldn't eat this, 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 and this, not drink alcohol, never eat chocolate. If somebody told me that I had to eat this way, I would just laugh in their face. I think I really needed to go through hell in order to really get it and actually follow through on taking care of myself. What's it like now to be rid of the pain, rid of the diarrhea that you had prior to adopting this new dietary approach? Do you feel a sense of freedom that you didn't have before? Are you able to do things that you couldn't do before? Yes and no. I kind of feel restricted because I can't travel very far because of the food that I eat. I only eat organic foods, so I'm always cooking my own food. I'm always carrying food with me. I went away to West Virginia a couple of weeks ago, and I took four canisters of distilled water with me. I took all my food that I already had pre-made. I had to make sure I stayed in a house that actually had a kitchen. So there's challenges that I've never faced before. I'm healthier for it. I'm just, I'm enjoying a new lifestyle. I wouldn't say I feel freedom just yet. I still feel like I'm walking on eggshells because I feel like, oh, at any second the ball's gonna drop and I'm gonna go into a flare-up and I'm gonna have to figure out what that is and what is it gonna do to me. I have all these questions in my head like what if, what if, what if, which is a terrible thing. I should not be thinking that way because I've come so far and I've seen my healing process. So there is no reason for that to actually happen except if maybe something doesn't agree with me or if I have a moment of weakness and I do stop eating this way, though I don't really see that happening. So I have freedom from pain and I'm still learning how to handle my new lifestyle. Exactly. Just the freedom from pain is essentially for you a new life. You haven't had that for a very long time. So it sounds like you're kind of discovering, gee, what do I do with life now that I don't have that pain and I don't have the diarrhea and I've gotten a grip on my diet in a way that works? Exactly. It's a learning experience that you're still in. Mm -hmm, exactly. I'm learning so many new things on other levels about myself also because I've gone through all those years of pain about the same time I was introduced to alcohol. From 22 to 30, I was always drinking, not a lot, but enough, like a normal human being would drink here and there on the weekends or whatnot. Now I'm not drinking at all, and I will go out and enjoy the company of other people and realize, wow, I've never done this without alcohol in my hand or in my system. So I'm kind of rediscovering my own self based off of different things that I would put in my system. I mean, wow, I'm sitting here enjoying your company and I'm not eating a piece of cake or I'm dancing with you and there's no alcohol in my system. I'm actually enjoying the moment. I'm not enjoying the actual objects that I'm putting in my mouth, sort of speak. I'm actually enjoying the person and I'm being myself. I'm not preoccupied by the food. I'm actually in the moment. It's a new life. 100% a new life, one that I didn't know was going to actually come with the healing. It's very exciting. Something also that helps with all of this is meeting new people and people with like minds. I have recently came in contact with a nutritionist and a nurse in a hospital nearby who's trying to put together a program based off of Dr. McDougall's principles. That's something exciting to look forward to because to be able to speak with other people who are trying to get themselves to a healthy level would be very comforting because sometimes I feel like I'm alone on this. Oh, exactly. That could be a great learning resource and also just a great emotional resource to connect with other people who are 
going through what you've been going through. I really do want to help other people who are in the similar position as me, and I just want people to know that everybody's different. Just because this worked for me, it may not work for another person. You have to figure out what's good for your own body. That's a good point. It really is an experiment. You're using your body as a lab and conducting experiments to see what works for each person. Exactly. Well, that's the show for today. Before you do anything else, check out the show notes for this episode at painopolis.com, where you'll find more information about the McDougal program, the diet advocated by John McDougal, and also True North. We've also included links to important medical studies that have explored the connection between diet and inflammatory bowel disease. If you ever needed a little extra motivation to retool your eating habits, those studies may just do the trick. While you're at painopolis.com, you can also drop us an email with suggestions about topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. And if you enjoy Painopolis, go to our Support the Show page and make a financial contribution. We most appreciate your generosity and we'll use your contribution to bring you more episodes. So if you like the show, support it. Finally, if you'd like to help other people in chronic pain discover Painopolis, go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time, and we wish you well.